Hello fellow Blue Earthers and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm Lauren Esbitt and my guests today are Lorenzo Kirchi and Oliver Bolton, co-founders of Earthly, a platform which helps businesses invest in nature. Earthly's aim is to encourage companies to work in partnership with nature, not against it, and to reach the ultimate goal of balancing their carbon impact. We discuss everything from their world-first biodiversity score, why it's taken so long for biodiversity to be considered in global climate discussions, plus how investments in nature can yield financial benefits too. Morning, Ollie. Morning, Lorenzo. It's lovely to have you on the Blue Earth podcast today. Can you guys tell me what you're going to be talking about at this year's summit? We will be talking about pathway to regenerative business, so helping companies go beyond net zero to have a net positive impact on the planet. For anyone who doesn't know, can you tell us what Earthly is? So we're a platform that helps businesses invest into nature. We specialise in sort of ecosystems that are underrepresented and you know, help provide companies with a return on their nature investments through increased engagement. And we also help screen projects across carbon, biodiversity and social impact. And what was the most exciting project you guys have worked on in 2022? One of my favourites is uh, is actually kelp. We're working with Biomalgae in the UK. Uh, that's been kelp uh, planting, farming kelp. And it's been an amazing first year because I think what we've been able to see from the actual growth is that we've had the biodiversity boom that we were expecting. But we know that if, if we can continue to, to build on the science, there's a huge potential for carbon sequestration. So ideally almost six times the value of a tree. So um, really excited about this project and working with Biomalki, who will also be at the Blue Earth Summit. Just going back to why the project is so special to you, is that because the results that you've seen kind of bypass anything you expected or just because you have a general interest in algae and kelp? The, there is certainly the data is, is it's been much more than we would, would have hoped for. But um, I personally have a love for the oceans. And um, it's great to see that we can we can use innovation uh, in nature to help uh, us to sequester more carbon to bring back more biodiversity. So these are all the things that Earthly stands for. And it's great to see one project sort of really delivering and, uh, and the money that we invest going going that much further. How much longevity, if that's the right question to ask, does that particular project have? Uh, the potential is huge. So uh, I think this is the very beginning of, of the project and we're already speaking to the Crown Estate that owns the seafloor around the UK. Um, the, the longevity in terms of what we could deliver in terms of kelp and seagrasses around the UK is, is massive. So I think that with the help of the universities that we're working with, we're really going to develop this into a, a one of hopefully one of the, one of the strong solutions that we have in our arsenal to fight climate change and, and biodiversity loss. And how many kind of kilometres of coastline are you working with at the moment? You'll probably put me on the spot here. It's, it's actually quite a small uh, plot to begin with, but that's, the, that's sort of the part with, uh, with these projects is looking to, to, to really develop the science, prove it out, and then continue to scale it. But the Biomalgae team has been working on this um, for, for several years and, and really the you know, culmination of their work is, is, is really coming out. This is just an assumption um, because I don't know anything about algae or kelp. But um, I'm assuming that if you could do 
the entire coast of the UK, that would be amazing. I'm guessing because the temperature of the water is different, you know, from Cornwall to Scotland at different times of the year, that changes the kind of ecosystems that exist in those waters. Is that is that right? Well, I think there's one or two things. First of all, that we have to look and be respectful of fishing and the fishing industry. So that puts some limitations as to where kelp lines can be placed. But one of the most important things is not really the water temperature, but more the, the sea floor. So the sea floor will dictate to us how much carbon sequestration the, 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 the sinking of the kelp can provide. And that's what we're working with, with Exeter University and other, other PhD um, academics. Actually, the, the whole of the UK coast is is the perfect um, environment for kelp. And actually, the temperature is pretty consistent. You know, the conditions are just you know, ha- happen to be to work well for, for kelp and seaweed. Okay, so on your website that I was having a cruise through this morning, it says that you guys invest in nature and it's important to invest in that now. I'm starting to wonder where the origins of Earthly came about and why there is an urgency, especially with you guys as founders, um, why investing in, in nature is really important. You know, the thing that we talk about and, you know, Renza referenced earlier was the fact that it's not just a climate kind of carbon situation that we have to tackle, but it's, it's you know, the interlinked biodiversity crisis. And so we, you know, we're attracted to nature-based projects because they tackle both and often have, you know, amazing sort of social people benefits as well. You know, the stat that we talk about often is the funding gap to nature. So there's a 500 billion dollar annual uh, funding gap if we're going to hit our Paris 2050 goals and so you know we've been thinking a lot about how we can close that funding gap and you know and and attract uh, as much investment to nature as possible. Okay so I don't know much about investing and I certainly don't know a lot about investing in nature either so if you were going to give some advice as to how somebody could be interested in it or start to understand the scope of what that means what would you say i mean it's quite simple really it's you know it's just directing funding to nature-based projects you know and they're typically um yeah that's their restoration and they're also protection projects but it's as simple as going onto our website going to the marketplace and finding a project you like and and supporting it and transacting it so that's sort of the simplest way to kind of get going i thought i would add that you know i think the, there's lots of businesses that are looking to help support, whether that's from a from a from a pure carbon perspective, they want to re- remove or reduce their their carbon impact, and so that's a that's a really important thing in today's world. And I think the regulation is, is coming down the pipeline to try and help businesses. First of all, they have to measure their impact, but then what they can do to reduce and then re- remove their their carbon impact. And so. First of all, you know, nature-based solutions can do that. There's pro- wonderful projects like the Kelp Project, sequestration tree projects, which a lot of us know about in terms of uh, pure removals or sequestration of CO2. But you know, if you're looking at the Oxford Principles to Net Zero, we also have to protect key forests. Uh, it's really important this decade that we help to protect um, wonderful forests around the world that are biodiversity hotspots as well. So if you're a business, you might look at this purely from an actual carbon perspective, but investing in nature provides so much more. It is the help towards local communities, uh, helping with education, helping with medical equipment, um, work uh, and, and really delivering more prosperity to communities that might be most adversely affected by climate change. So that's, that's another big win for a company. And then finally, it's that biodiversity piece. And I think hopefully with COP, um, biodiversity COP coming, coming and, and some of the 
really exciting news that, that we that we heard from from Climate Week and you all last week was that biodiversity is finally getting a seat at the table. Um, and this is really critical, and, and nature-based solutions can deliver that. So whatever your angle, whether that's carbon, trying to help local communities, protect key forests, the, the money that you, ha- uh, that you invest in these projects delivers a, a real triple whammy. So why do you think it's taken governments and institutions so long to recognise that you know, biodiversity needs a place in the decisions that are being made around the world? One of the main challenges of biodiversity is it's complex. You know, with carbon, there's like one metric, it's easier to measure, whereas you know, biodiversity you know, is, is a much more challenging thing to kind of get your head around and to understand. But we, you know, the last year we've really seen a sort of step change you know, towards yeah, the evaluation and, and people actually you know, really exploring it. And so we have like the Task Force for Nature-Related Financial Disclosures, which is you know, kind of drilling down into like, what are the elements that we should be tracking in relation to biodiversity. I notice on your website when you talk about you know how how earthly works and you talk about calculating carbon impact and now I'm certainly not a science person which is why I'm asking lots of general questions but how do you in short measure carbon because you've just said that there's only kind of one way to do it is that right so does does that make it really easy for businesses to do I guess no from from the perspective of the greenhouse gas protocol has been set up to help us to Ollie's point account for carbon and we weren't really given the same basis for biodiversity uh, but the greenhouse gas protocol is is a is a sort of set of calculations that we can follow globally to correctly account for our impact and so this gets set into three scopes scope one and two which is sort of the gas and electricity that you use within the business uh, fossil fuels and then scope three which are quite complicated is all of your supply chain everything that, that that you do within your organization your goods that you purchase the ingredients that go into to, to your products so but it is a, a very fundamental uh, set of guidelines that help us to calculate emissions and that's why it's it's been incredibly successful to sort of uh, small to, to to enterprise businesses to actually calculate their impact and that's always the first step calculate reduce and then remove is, is really the aim here. So if carbon is relatively easy to measure in the sense that all businesses should be doing it and therefore the resources are out there to do that, is there anything else that businesses should be measuring but just might not have the resources or infrastructure to to do? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, one specific metric is, you know, is water, you know, which is interesting to track. But you know, I think what we're seeing is, um, is is a more kind of holistic approach where people are looking at the nature impact of their businesses. And that's an interesting sort of trend for us to be kind of looking at as well, uh, kind of the, the wider, you know, and obviously carbon is a, is a component of that. So all the businesses that you've worked with through Earthly, you've measured their um, carbon impact and you've come up with a solution and then what happens then? How do you continue the, the partnership with those businesses if you've found the solution? <laughs> yeah, I mean, some, some businesses subscribe to our climate positive certification where they are looking at the footprint of their company. But also we have more companies coming to us who are investing in nature, not necessarily linked to a footprint. You know, they're linking it to product sales or they're, they're investing a percent of revenue or a percent of profit and sort of going above and beyond net zero. And so those are the, you know, those are the kind of integrations and the partnerships that we're really quite excited about. And, you know, kind of what we're seeing is 
a future where actually businesses are going to be competing on the kind of the net positive impact they're having on the planet, which is quite exciting. So we have an API which allows you to automate um, investments into nature. And so we have various different customers using it, including a Spanish bank who are rewarding their customers through our API when they take certain actions within their banking app. I guess I would, I would maybe add to that that I think from a point of view of a business and, and getting started, a lot of hopefully a lot of businesses are aware of the, of the climate crisis, want to make an impact. But this is the time you know, to really pay attention to our impact and, and start to reduce and, and, and look to have a positive impact. And, and so we help customers on this climate journey, depending on the product and, and, and where they're at on, on their journey. It's about helping them to to track and, and obviously reduce their emissions but leave a positive impact to, to, as Oliver said and, and I think one of the things that we we missed in the market was a way of engaging people on nature-based solutions they can be so powerful it's not just about the carbon it is across these three pillars of social and biodiversity and carbon and so we really wanted to create a, a tool for them to educate both their internal and their external stakeholders. How do we show people the power of nature? And that's where we brought in our sort of 3D visuals and, and have a lot of videos and, and photography and updates from the, from the projects. We're continually running assessments on the projects so we get a lot of data points back. Uh, and that's how we want to really engage people. So it's not just a one-off action that you take every year. It, it's, it's something that a business should be proud of throughout the year and demonstrate the positive impact that they're having to the outside world, hopefully in a way of, of educating others wherever they are um, on, the, on, the, on the power of nature. Just to add to what Lorenzo is saying, is what, what's really exciting is we're seeing a return on these investments that businesses are making. And so with the, with the Spanish bank, they hit their kind of annual targets for engagement in a month and a half. And so as they kind of see that there's an ROI, whether it's increased engagement, increased sales, you know, customer acquisition or retention, then that's encouraging businesses to invest more into nature. So there's a positive kind of feedback loop that we're seeing, which is really exciting. And we're, you know, we're hoping that that will be a key incentive to get mass market mainstream companies investing into nature because they can see that there's this return on their investment. And I also guess that feeds in really well with storytelling, you know, how to market earthly to future businesses and potential investors that with that is a really uh, small time frame to get really good return investment. So how are you, how are you reaching out to p- new potential clients and customers? What's exciting is when we have um, partnerships with companies, they, you know, they co-brand the materials. You know, they, they want a sort of trusted third party. So with, um, with the campaign we, we're running with Innocent um, at the moment, they have posters and they have shelf kind of displays in the retailers where they're selling products and they're gifting trees um, and, and supporting the kelp project that we've been talking about linked to the sales of the product. And so because that's a co-branded partnership, you know, we've been quite lucky to get some, some decent exposure um, you know, f- f- from that co-branding. And you're delivering a workshop at Blue Earth. What will you be talking about or interacting with? Is it educational yeah, so I think what the, the workshop is called Road to Net Zero and Beyond. And I think there it's about sort of demystifying what net zero actually means. What are the tools and methodologies that businesses can, can, can follow to achieve uh, that goal? I think reduction is a critical step, but also how do we start to invest in nature and start to not only remove carbon, but have that positive impact? And I think 
there's a few steps that we need to take along this journey, uh, but there's some also critical milestones that we need to achieve. Um, the IPCC and the, and the Paris Agreement reduction targets by 2030. So the sort of demystifying this and helping to maybe start the conversations to what Oliver said about how do we go beyond net zero? What, it, what does it mean to then become a regenerative business? And this is really exciting, is, is how do we create a, a business that has a net positive impact? And that's where we'd like to go, but we do need to get you know, through, through net zero and, and hopefully have those reduction and techniques and tools at our disposal. And why is understanding your carbon emissions as a business, you know, fairly complicated? As you're saying, you know, you want to help businesses and people demystify it, but why is it mysterious in the first place? I think it's not something that we, we grow up learning about. The greenhouse gas protocol, there's lots of jargon. It's not an everyday life. Um, and so these are often jargon tools that, that we just don't talk about. Luckily, it's coming up on the agenda so much more. So it is becoming more pervasive when we talk about scope one and two. It actually means something to someone now, but it, it can be quite confusing at the very beginning. So it's just really setting up the, the, the road, simple roadblocks to, to achieving our, our goals, really. Going beyond that, what you were saying about net positive, do you, in the industry that you're in, predict that that will take five years, 10 years, not just in earthly, but in other businesses? Do you think that things are moving at quite a fast pace? What we're seeing is it is moving quickly. And yeah, by 2030, you know, the most successful thriving businesses will have um, the environment at the heart of what they're doing. As we kind of touched on earlier, I think we'll start to see companies competing with each other on the good that they're giving back to the planet, you know, moving just beyond quality and, and price as a you know, competitive differentiator. So, you know, we want to be um, helping support those nature integrations, those nature investments uh, at Earth. Yeah, I, mean, I was, I would add that, yeah, I think that it, it can, it might take a bit longer, but we have to set our targets. We have to, we aim for more than, than net zero. We need to regenerate um, the damage that we've done. And I think it's really exciting having conversations with the likes of maybe big corporates like GlaxoSmithKline that they, they're looking at beyond net zero. They want to have a net positive, net nature positive or regenerative approach to, to business. And that means the water, the biodiversity impact. And that's, it's going to take some time, but to have that aim is, is, is phenomenal. What are your guys' thoughts on, um, is it Coca-Cola or Pepsi being the sponsor of the next cup? Yeah, it's Coca-Cola. Look, you know, they've, you know, they have some plastic waste, waste challenges that we're all aware of, but they also have a robust environmental plan that's kicking in and so things are moving in the right direction you know there's 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 positives they've had a lot of bad press but there are positives when you say it's kicking in i kind of feel like we're living in a time where the phrase kicking in doesn't have enough urgency (laughs) it sort of should be happening now yeah absolutely yeah and we're you know our focus is accelerating investment to nature you know because of the funding gap that we mentioned so the work that we're doing with Innocent, you know, who, who, who are owned by Coca-Cola is, is a good step. And, you know, we'd welcome to, to do more, you know, to help them do more and to help them invest into the most impactful projects. And if, you know, any brand or organisation wanted to come and work with you, do you have a filter system at which you say, yep, we can, like, we'd love to have you on board or do you say no sometimes? Yeah, no, we, we say no often. You know, we don't work with oil and gas. 
businesses. Um, we have a similar to B Corp. We have a kind of a red list of, of companies that we don't work with. And, you know, ultimately, you know, we want to work with credible businesses. You know, we don't want to support greenwashing. We, you know, we not only screen the projects that we work with to make sure that they're most impactful and they meet our minimum standards, but we also screen the companies that we work with as well. Um, okay, so Ollie, you might be able to help me with this one. Um, how are you, well, how is Earthly helping businesses engage with their nature investments? So it's, you know, when you look at it, you know, nature is actually quite abstract and it's really hard for us to get our heads around what does a million trees look like or what is a thousand hectares of rainforest that's protected. And so we're, we're, we're quite excited that we develop um, a 3D visualization tool, which enables you to see your nature investments on a 3D island. And on the island is, is, a, is a representation of the ecosystems that you've invested in. The more you invest into them, they kind of grow and the island grows. So it's a really emotive, engaging way to, to see your, your nature investments, to see your nature impacts. And you know, that can be shared with customers or it can be shared with um, stakeholders or clients. And yeah, we're, we're, you know, we just literally launched that. And um, so one of our first customers using the island is innocent in this campaign that, that we mentioned earlier. Uh, and yeah, we're excited to kind of get it out to the world. And, and ultimately, you know, you can see things grow and change, you know, as the investment increases. So with the Innocent campaign, you know, as they, as they sold more products linked to the campaign, you know, the, the, the trees on the island uh, sort of grew in size. And will you be attending the next COP? Yeah, I, I, I'm planning to, yeah. There's a couple of opportunities for us to get some exposure there. So yeah, planning to be out there. Ollie, could you talk to us about what's uh, what you're launching at Blue Earth Summit in terms of screening future projects? So we are, yeah, it's really exciting. We're we're launching our project scoring tool, which essentially looks at carbon, biodiversity, and social impact of nature-based projects. And we're the first to go beyond carbon. There's there's a few people out there just looking at the carbon side. So we're we're the first to kind of actually look at you know what's best practice for biodiversity and social impact and so this this does two things for companies you know so first it helps them kind of de-risk their nature investments because they know that we're working with projects that meet minimum standards but secondly you know it allows companies to find projects that align with their values so it might be a healthcare company that wants to support a nature-based project that over indexes and social health and you know we see that being really important to kind of create these authentic relationships between projects and businesses and what are you hoping to get from Blue Earth Summit, an investor? Yeah, I mean, look, we, we, you know, I think it's just great to kind of tell the world about the things that we're doing. And, you know, we'd love to also find other companies, you know, to support, you know, on, on their mission with their sort of environmental impact. Of course, like investors is always, always, a, always a bonus too. <laughs> and did you say earlier that you, you're the first company to do this? Yeah, we're the first to, to, to score biodiversity and social uh, impact above and beyond carbon. And so, you know, those are like very much our, the three core pillars that we're like focusing on. And I, I think, you know, look, it's, it's, you know, Lorenzo and I, from the very beginning of the business, we, we focused on how we can kind of innovate and add value to all the amazing companies working in the space. And the scoring is hopefully something that we can, you know, we can contribute that will, you know, help direct funds to the highest quality projects. I'm assuming there's a model by which you'll score by. How has that come about? How's it been designed and what's been taken into consideration? Yeah, so we, we, we screened 64 different data points and the, the actual assessment's been built with our scientific board. So we work with these eight um, sort of nature-based experts. And so they've sort of fed into the scoring and they feed into all aspects of our business. We'll also be launching the, the kind of methodology and a white paper 
uh, around the scoring. So you can kind of download it and see exactly how we work things out. And what makes a nature-based expert? A scientist or somebody who lives, you know, in the area that you're working with? Yeah, I mean, our, our, our board, are, you know, have a, a variety of experience, but, you know, a lot of them are academics. So they're, you know, university professors. But we've specifically chosen a mix of people that, you know, focus on different aspects of nature-based solutions. So it might be social, it might be the kind of economic side of natural capital. It's, you know, really fascinating to, you know, to get the different input from different experts. And we've learned a lot over the last couple of years. But I just want to add, like, why is assessment important i think if we take a step back like there's a lot of projects out there that achieve different goals but when when we're looking at um the future and what what has happened also in the past there's been some really there's been some issues with nature-based solutions or 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 other carbon focused projects cook stove projects that didn't actually achieve their end goal or nature-based forests that were planted as monocultures and, and didn't deliver on biodiversity so it's very important that we try to understand what quality is and actually in 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 new york at climate week the the idea of understanding quality and understanding um what standards we should be fighting for what 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 good it looks like uh, have become more and more important and so what does this assessment actually mean it means that we've gone out to 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 all the registries scanned them using a machine learning tool and then we've manually assessing them over this carbon pillar the social pillar and the biodiversity. So important things like additionality or leakage, like technical terms are all sort of baked into this assessment. And uh, we are able to define really that, that what is that high quality scoring project. Um, and, and I think that means that businesses can invest with more confidence, they can have more trust, um, and they can be sure that there's maybe, you know, issues of reputational risk might not, might not impact them in the future. Do you find that across the world, in in the spaces that you work in, um, nature and well-being have different metrics and definitions? With regards to our assessment, you know, we have set data points that we look at regardless of location. So I, I would say that maybe there's different perceptions of of quality of life in different areas, but actually we we designed our um, assessment to be to be kind of consistent regardless of location. And so, you know, we're, we're kind of agnostic to specific areas. And so what that means is we can really highlight best-in-class projects regardless of where they're based. Lorenzo, what's the most exciting customer journey you've been working on recently? Yeah, so probably one of, one of the most exciting is S3. S3 is a, a large enterprise business that helps um, place students in, uh, in jobs around the world. They've calculated their emissions and have done some great work on understanding their scope one and two and, and then their scope three, so their actual product. And they've defined what, exactly how they're going to achieve net zero with their reduction framework, but you know, have been committed to investing in nature-based solutions. And so they will be investing and removing their emissions um, following the science-based targets initiative guidance as to how much they should invest in carbon avoidance or carbon removal. And so they're choosing these incredible projects that are on the earthly um, marketplace. So they're, they're going with TIST, uh, which is a tree planting project helping small, um, small uh, hold farmers. And, and so it's really guiding this journey is very exciting and helping them invest in great projects and actually de- able to demonstrate to them 
not only the carbon impact, but all these other elements. And then knowing that we're going to take them through this sort of eight-year curve to net zero and then hopefully beyond is a really sort of exciting way of actually really demonstrating how our project, our tools work and, and help deliver customers you know, to net zero and, and beyond. And is eight years sort of a standard time to expect to expect results? So 2030 is a big, a big goal. And you'll, you'll hear it a lot. Like we've, you know, net zero by 2050 is the government's, um, obviously where they are committed to net zero, but businesses are trying to drive much faster. Um, and so S3's goal is, is 2030. And, and you'll hear a lot of larger businesses aiming for that date. And do you think businesses, um, have more of a power over governments to drive faster change? You know, interesting. In, in again, I'll raise the conversations in New York at Climate Week. It was incredibly interesting. It's just some people think that governments move too slowly. Uh, there's too much change, and there's not an, enough long-term views. And what we're seeing is that there's can be commitment from business to deliver change faster than government. And I think that's where becoming being a leader in today's world is uh, wherever whether you're C-suite or or anybody within a business, you can be a climate leader. It, it means driving the agenda, and it means um, educating those around you and trying to really drive for what we're, we're we're aiming for. And I think governments sometimes can lose their way and uh, deliver too slowly. Uh, for what we really need. Governments have been informed about climate change since the 70s or even before, and we haven't acted on it. It's it's time to, to change things around and, and take responsibility for ourselves, I think. Yeah, no, I think, look, if we can turn businesses into regenerative businesses having a net positive impact on the planet, we can almost turn consumption into a force for good. And, you know, I, I see that being a quicker, you know, to... to uh, to Lorenzo's point, a quicker way to have an impact and to move the move the dial than perhaps waiting for regulation from from governments. Blue Earth Summit is happening from the 11th to the 13th of October 2022 in the great city of Bristol. We believe in the power of the outdoors to improve our health and further establish purpose-led business. Register your interest at blueearthsummit.com.